What is up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Unrated Ebony, the podcast. For my new listeners, my name is Ebony Anderson-Brown, and I'm the editor-in-chief and publisher of Hangtime Magazine, the voice of independent artists. I'm back this week with part two of Music is Black History. And today I wanted to continue where I left off last week on what's really wrong with the music industry. If you missed part one of this topic, feel free to pause this episode to catch up with the rest of us. And don't worry, I'll be waiting right here. The music industry has long profited from the rich and varied culture of black people for many generations. But overall, we feel it has failed to acknowledge the structural and systematic racism affecting the very same black community and so effectively enjoying the rhythm and ignoring the blues. What I just read was a direct quote from an open letter by the Black Music Coalition, a collective of senior Black music industry executives from companies including Warner, Sony, Universal Music Group, BMG, Live Nation, and even Spotify. This open letter was published by the Music Managers Forum in response to the death of George Floyd while in custody of the Minneapolis police. But it goes beyond that singular moment. There's always been a need for immediate action on racism and marginalization within the music industry. Last week, I spoke a lot about the present, but this week, I'm definitely going to look back onto the past. When you think about music, I say that it's Black history because Black people invented music. It's a statement backed by numerous research on Black people's influence on most, if not all, music genres. Less obvious influential genres that are today heavily whitewashed includes blues, jazz, rock and roll, country music, funk, and even house music, which is what I spoke about last week in regards to the Jersey Club. When it comes to rap or hip hop, R&B, gospel, and soul music, They are perhaps the only genres where Black people have retained their influence. During slavery, music was a survival mechanism that reduced levels of boredom, improved communication and productivity. It was used as a form of escapism and an expression for hardship, fatigue, and frustration. But how did Black music, initially symbolizing freedom and survival, become appropriated by white people throughout history? You know, starting with a historic background of most genres, we can identify how each resulted in present-day cultural appropriation. When we think of blues and jazz, both rooted in South African-American music, the first blues recordings were made in the 1920s by Black women, including Ma Rainey, Ida Cox, and Bessie Smith. And even though there's a movie on Bessie Smith on HBO right now featuring Queen Latifah, 
a lot of people don't realize that as a blues singer, she was widely renowned during the jazz age. She was nicknamed the Empress of Blues. She was the most popular female blues singer in the 1920s and the 1930s. And she's often regarded as one of the greatest singers of her era. One of the earliest jazz musicians was Buddy Bolden. But Nick LaRocca, a white composer, incorrectly claimed to have invented the genre with the release of Tiger Rag one of the most recorded jazz classics of all time in 1917. Jazz historian Gary Giddens said LaRocca turned racist and proceeded to make horrible statements about how whites invented jazz and how they were there before the black guys and so forth. Elvis started recording in the 50s but black rock musicians like Bo Diddley, Little Richard, Fats Domino, and Chuck Berry were already making rock music. Little Richard told the time, there wasn't anybody playing at the time but black people. Myself, Fats Domino, and Chuck Berry. White kids started paying more attention to this music. They needed somebody to come in like Elvis. The original godmother that invented the classic rock and roll sound was Sister Rosetta Tharp. Forgetting by many, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2018 for paving the way for other artists in the industry. James Brown's band established a funk beat in the 1960s. The sound was a musical standard for bands such as Cool and a Gang and soul singers like Stevie Wonder. This was then popularized further with Rick James and Prince, what we now know to be the Minneapolis sound. In the 70s, Frankie Knuckles, a DJ at an African-American gay club called The Warehouse in Chicago, along with other DJs including Silk, Jackmaster, and Ron Hardy, codified the basic formula of house music. And finally, we have country music. Black people's contribution to this genre has been overlooked and overshadowed with the overwhelmingly amount of white male singers and the association with cowboys, horses, and pickup trucks. Some white influential country singers were taught by black people, including Rufus T. Top Payne and Arnold Schultz, son of a former slave who was introduced to blues by Bill Monroe. Unfortunately, Country Music Awards and Billboard have once incorrectly refused to fully insert black singers into this genre. In 2017, Kane Brown topped all five of Billboard's country charts, the first artist to do so, but was snubbed at the Country Music Awards. Most notably is Lil Nas X, Country Trap, Old Town Road, which included Billy Ray Cyrus on the remix. It became the longest U.S. number one single of all time for 19 weeks after Billboard's refusal to add the original song in the Hot Country Songs charts. The song failed to embrace enough elements of today's country music to chart in its current version, Billboard said. In summary, the song was just too black for certain white people. This only gave the song free press with many seeing the decision as racially motivated. And this brings me back to my original point. Why are white decision makers choosing whether a song should fit one genre or not? 
Would Billboard have done the same if Little Nas X wasn't black? It's really sad. Now that I've just walked you through um, a very quick timeline of black music, I'm sure we have all heard the word urban. And the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of early recordings by black singers were referred to as race records by Billboard magazine. And they were marketed solely to African-Americans. Over time, white Americans began to purchase these records leading into the 1990s, which for the name had been changed to hip hop slash R&B charts. Some successful R&B and soul singers include Rihanna, Beyonce, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, and Aretha Franklin, Queen of Soul. For rap and hip hop, we had Americans such as Jay-Z, Drake, Lil Wayne, Kanye West, and the most successful female rappers at this time in a male-dominated industry, Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, and let's not forget the United Kingdom. We have Skepta, Stormzy, Dave, and Miss Banks. Just recently, the term urban, which has been deemed controversial for so many years, was banned by Republic Records, the first major label to do so. Far too often, urban was used as a replacement for black music. It was a safe category to include for the white music industry establishments to place black artists. White appropriation of black music over the years has facilitated today's white artists to tap into black culture style. Black people are trendsetters when it comes to dance moves, memes, basically anything trendy. Artists such as Miley Cyrus, Taylor Swift, and Macklemore became clear examples of how white privilege allowed them to benefit from appropriating black culture. And it goes beyond the states. I briefly mentioned Stormzy and Skepta. When we think about the UK music scene, it's even more complex and less representative of black people. With the many Adele's and Sam Smith's winning multiple awards every year, it was only in 2017 that Stormzy's Gang Signs and Prayer became the first grime album to hit number one on the official UK chart and the first rap album to win the Brit Award for British Album of the Year. So now you see, and you heard it here, music is black history. I had a lot of fun doing the research for this episode and putting it together. If you really like what you heard, be sure to leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcast streaming app. You know I love to continue the conversation online, so remember to follow me on social media at Unrated Ebony. Sources for Music is Black History Parts 1 and 2 includes the Public Broadcasting Service or PBS's Soundfield, Billboard Magazine, Forge Today, The Guardian, History, and the multiple videos I found on YouTube, which you can find the links to in the description. The music curated was mixed by my alter ego, Flower Shark. You can find the track list for this episode in the description as well. That's all I've got for you today. Thanks for listening. Peace.